Well, happy Lord's Day, everyone. Thank you for joining us for worship here from First Baptist Church in Rock Hill. I'm Pastor Steve Hogg, and I'm really excited you're worshiping the Lord with us today. You are going to be blessed because a friend of mine that I've known for many years uh, recently preached at First Baptist on a Sunday morning, and you are going to get to see and hear his sermon right now. I'm talking about Brother Lee Clamp. I first uh, connected with Lee when he was a youth pastor and doing a great job in our state. And then for many years now, he served on the staff of our state convention here in South Carolina, helping lead our convention and our churches in the area of evangelism. More recently, he's moved into a new role as the, as the, the chief strategist for our state convention and the work we do together as South Carolina Baptists and has a heart for people, a heart for those who are far from God. And uh, you're going to be blessed as he shares from his own experience a message from God's word that uh, I think is going to be powerful. So thank you for being with us today. As soon as I pray, the next voice you hear will be that of Lee Clamp preaching live here at First Baptist on a recent Sunday. Father, thank you for today. This is your day. You created it, and it is a good day, and we honor your name. It is a joy for us to gather in your presence and worship you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to our hearts and move us, move us into greater service, greater obedience, greater transformation that we might honor Jesus in all we do. Thank you for Brother Lee Clamp and use the message that we're going to hear to speak to hearts and change lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, please keep your seats. Keep your seats. Listen, <laughs> Pastor Steve Hogg is is, uh, is a jewel in the state of South Carolina, and uh, and I am blessed to to know him. He is uh, one of our wisest and um, endearing uh, pastors within our state. And may, many of you might not know uh, what the South Carolina Baptist Convention is, but it's a collection of 2,100 churches in the state of South Carolina that for 200 years have just said, hey, let's voluntarily pull resources together to try to see every life saturated and transformed by the hope of the gospel, by sending missionaries around our state and by sending missionaries around the world. And so I'm one of your missionaries, and I get the pleasure of being able to see a God at work all over the state of South Carolina and also all over the world. And uh, Pastor Steve Hogg is, is one of the um, finest within our pastor leadership groups. I get to serve with him on committees, and he represents you well. He represents our state well on a national platform. And, um, and, and he also uh, knows good preaching when he hears it, and so that's why he's never here when I come uh, to preach. And so that's why I'm a good friend, Steve Polk and, and other Steves. There's Steves everywhere on staff here. And, um, and so uh, my middle name is Steve and I'm totally kidding. Um, so my name is Lee Clamp and, um, and I've been married uh, for 23 years. It feels like 33. Um, I'm kidding. Just relax. It's my middle school sweetheart. Okay. So 
we knew one another 10 years before we got married, and uh, she's an educator, and, uh, and I've been able to see firsthand uh, what, what this time has done uh, to our educators around our state, and I'm just thankful for a church that, that cares about their local schools. You're part of the initiative to try to connect every public school with a church in South Carolina that's actually serving them and loving them, and currently right now, one-third of our South Carolina Baptist churches, one-third of the public schools are connected with a South Carolina Baptist church uh, that's serving them, loving them, helping with kids uh, along the way. And um, so we get to be able to see a lot of that. You're a part of a movement, a movement of churches that are trying to eradicate poverty within our state, that are trying to eliminate the need for foster kids to have adopted parents and uh, and are being able to get the message of the gospel out uh, to the far corners of this state and the world. Um, Lisa and I have three or four boys and um, and uh, let's see, their names are Quarter, Connor, Caden, and then we do have a fourth. His name's Rokeem, unofficially adopted into our family uh, when I coached him in football and my wife taught him in the second grade. Uh, my youngest, my nine-year-old, he said, Dad, um, why don't you ever call us by our real names? And I said, son, it's because I can't remember your name. Uh, he said, well, you always call me Connor. And I said, well, it's your mom's fault for naming all of y'all C's. So I, I just kind of go and do roll call along the way. Um, but uh, we like to have fun together. We went to, uh, to Yellowstone last year on this RV. Like we, we went into Salt Lake and got in an RV and went to Yellowstone. And, uh, and it was my wife's idea, so I was able to pull it off. And we roughed it for a week. And we had a big time together. And, and, uh, and then uh, years back, we went uh, on, a, on a trip together. And it was, it was, it, it, they're, they're about every 10 years apart. But, but we went on a, one of the best cruises you could ever take. It, it's the kind of cruise where you invite your parents to go and, um, and they pay for it. And, uh, and so I was sweating it when I got up to the counter, but dad reached over my shoulder with a credit card. I was like, praise Jesus, we can actually do this. I called my bluff all the way up to the very end there. And, uh, and we get on this cruise ship. It was a Mickey Mouse cruise. And, uh, and it was, it was incredible. They were ready for us. They were, had all of our, all of our luggage in the room. They called us by our name when we walked in the front door. And it was evident that it was all about me. Like every aspect of it was all about me. I went straight to the all you can eat buffet when I got there. And, uh, then we went out to the pool and there was all you can eat ice cream. And, um, and I found my, my, my youngest there at the time, just, you know, underneath the ice cream with just a lever pulled down. I mean, we just had a blast, right? And we, we sit there, we go through the program. We look at things that are offered that day. We went to see a comedian that night and a show and we listened to some music and just had a blast next day, rinse and repeat. You know, we kind of sit back, we look back at the program again. And, and, um, you know, then we found ourselves after like day three, we started to critique things. It's kind of funny, right? They're doing all this stuff to cater to you, right? But, you know, we paid the, the, the board and pass, so we figured that they ought to, you know, cater to us. And so we start looking at the program and just wondering why there's not more things for the kids, you know, just the kids. Like, just take them the whole vacation. You know what I mean? Like, we want a vacation, Lisa and I. And, uh, and then we start looking at, uh, at that night. We had a comedian the night before that just, I don't know, he just didn't, wasn't as funny as the, as the week before, or the night before. And. Then the music was a little off, and we were like, well, the music before was, yeah, it's it pretty good. And so, uh, so at the end of the day, though, it was, it was really all about us, right? And they did a good job. It was a lot of fun. The next month, uh, we went to another cruise ship. It was called the USS Yorktown in Charleston Harbor. Now, if you've ever been there, you, you know it's an aircraft carrier, a different type of cruise ship. 
Uh, in fact, my boys said, where's the swimming pool, Daddy? I said, there's not a swimming pool on this boat. In fact, this boat, it was all about the mission, not all about me. And so we find on this boat that, that all of these people on the boat are working together towards a common mission. On the top deck, there was aircrafts that would be sent off into battle. And if they are grounded, we're not winning the war. And all of these people are working together because it's all about the mission, not all about me. And one of your pastors a few months ago talked about how the church sometimes looks like a cruise ship. Now, I'm not talking about your church. I'm talking about all the other churches that I go and speak at. So relax. Okay, we're not talking about First Baptist Rock Hill. But there's a bunch of churches out there that sees themselves as a cruise ship where it's all about me. Where I look at the program for the week and I try to figure out what's there for the kids. You'll hear people in a cruise ship start saying things like, I didn't get a lot out of the message today. Or the music was a little off. Or, or, or you know, what, what's going to be in, in store in the future? Or, or I'm just not getting fed anymore. It's a cruise ship mentality church. When we begin to look at ourselves as the center of the universe as we begin to see ourselves as, as being catered to, we start thinking about the, the, the temperature in the room or the arrangements of the seats or, or whatever rules are being established by the pandemic. But, but God wants us to be an aircraft carrier church. I, I just believe that First Baptist Rock Hill is more of an aircraft carrier church, right? Ho hopefully you, you see yourselves as when you buy a ticket, it's a boarding pass, a ticket to come and die. That, that you are a part of a mission that's much bigger than you. That you're trying to press into the, the corners of Rock Hill and, and even generous with your, with your money to send missionaries around the world. That this aircraft carrier, if we're all working together, if we're all unified and we're not fighting with one another, we can actually accomplish something that's great. A cruise ship church is all about me. An aircraft carrier church is all about the mission. Listen, we are in the battle for the souls of mankind. This is no Mickey Mouse cruise. Listen, we, we are in this serious business on mission to join with Jesus as he restores and redeems the world. Now is not a time to retreat, church. Now is a time to advance. If you want a predictable comfortable, stress-free life, then you need to book a cruise. But if you want to advance and do something greater than yourself and be a part of a movement that was established 2,000 years ago, then you must be obedient, resilient, and courageous, just like our founding fathers of this church movement in the book of Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5 if you've got a scripture. Acts chapter 5, we see this story of this renegade group of guys who hung out with Jesus, was a part of this movement, and we see out the gate how they began to face opposition, how they began to face resistance, how they began to face a time where, where, where they were fearful and needed courage. And so when we look at this Acts chapter 5 church, we need to ask ourselves, do we, are we ready to join that? Are we ready to actually rise up and get out of our seats and do something that we might be an aircraft carrier church along the way? Acts chapter 5 verse 17, the opposition comes from within. It's kind of crazy. Out the gate, the religious folks are the ones who, who began to, to form the opposition. The high priest, 
all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Why were they jealous? They were jealous because there was, there was a stir going on. These apostles were healing people. They were helping people. In the name of Jesus, they were seeing uh, miraculous things happen. 3,000 people had been added to the number already. They had been baptized publicly. There was a movement that was underway. And guess what? The, the high priest and the Sadducees were not getting the credit. And so they brought opposition and they arrested the apostles in verse 18. And they put them in the public jail. Listen, if you are going to follow Jesus in obedience, you will face opposition. He calls you to be obedient in a world of opposition. In fact, if you're not facing opposition, you might want to check to see if you are indeed being obedient to the things that God calls you to be. In James, it tells us, don't be merely listeners to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Tells us in John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In 1 John, it says that those who say they love me, but don't do what I command is a liar and the truth is not in them. And so you, especially you young people in here who are faced with massive opposition in a world on your local school where, where the, the limit has been pressed and pressed and pressed until now, we don't even really know what the truths of the scripture are all about because the societal norms are so far away from what the scripture says. If you're not grounded in the scripture in obedience, you're going to face massive opposition. As you grow into this Experiment We call democracy, right? This, this world that we're in in our government right now in America. You are going to face more and more opposition because the landscape of America is changing. You see, for the first time, there are more people who do not go to any religious organization than who do. 20 years ago, that number was 20% higher. And the fastest growing religious group are the nuns. Those who would say, I don't affiliate with any religious organization. Well, why is that important? Well, when we live in a world of democracy, our leaders are a reflection of the people who live there. And therefore, if the balance is, is shifted to where people just aren't even going to church, much less following Jesus, then we are about to face a more and more opposing time when it comes to the things of the scripture. Now, some things might be okay, but there may be some others that are dramatically different than what the scripture teaches. And so you are going to face that in the next two decades. In fact, the hope for America is not the government. The hope for America is for the church to make disciples of Jesus whose leaders reflect them as they reflect Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom. That's the only hope. And so these apostles, they face opposition. They're thrown in jail. But take heart. Here's the good news. The good news is that the Lord rescues them from jail. But there's some bad news that comes along with it. In verse 19, the good news is during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door of the jail and brought them out. Good news. The bad news is he said, go stand in the temple courts where you got arrested before and tell the people all about this new life. 
The good news is that he will rescue you in the face of opposition. The bad news is he is going to tell you to be obedient right back into the face of the opposition. And that obedience may cause you to have to go back to jail. It's not, it's, it's not your obedience is going to lead to a blessed life and you're going to be a millionaire. Your obedience may lead to suffering, but it will be suffering for the name of Jesus so that his kingdom can, can move forward, not your personal kingdom. And so we see at daybreak, they don't hesitate. Listen, young people in here, the Lord tells you to do something. What are you procrastinating for? Why do you keep putting it off? You know things that you're supposed to be doing. You're like, oh, when I get older, I'll do those things. No, at daybreak, as soon as they had an opportunity, they didn't wait for the evening service. They went straight to the temple courts as they'd been told, and they began to teach the people. Why is it then in a world where you would be killed for your faith, you could not keep the apostles quiet? But in our world of freedom, we remain silent, silent in our schools, silent in our work, silent in our families. Oh, we'll be loud a lot of times on social media, but I'm talking about face to face with people. Are we actually vocal about the things that we say we believe? You know, the most quoted verse of believers may be the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. But I'm afraid that the most obeyed verse in South Carolina is what Jesus said to the healed leper. Be sure that you don't tell anyone. When you're obedient, the world takes notice. And the rulers of the dark world, they don't like it. And so when the high priest and the associates arrive, they call together the Sanhedrin. They send to the jail for the apostles. Then they realize in verses 22 through 25, they realize that they have escaped from jail, although it was securely shut. And then someone comes in and says, look, in verse 25, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. They scurry off to Chodokura, grab them and get them to be quiet and bring them back. And they resist them once again. You see, if you're going to be obedient in a world of opposition, then resistance is going to continue to come. And you're going to have to be resilient in a world of resistance. Resilience is getting up when you get knocked down. It's when you move right back into where you knew you were going to end up going, which is with them. They knew they were headed back to jail, maybe even facing death. They were resilient and they bounced back and they didn't quit. And the apostles are brought back in. And in verse 28, he says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. But verse 29 is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear what Peter says. He says, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. When was the last time you said, I must obey God Rather than my workplace, I must obey God rather than my schoolmates. I must obey God rather than what my family's taught me all these years. When was the last time we were resilient in the face of resistance? In Romans chapter five, we see this this suffering, this suffering that this church has in the early days. It's, It's a suffering that they rejoiced in. It's a suffering that they embraced. And it was because this suffering produces perseverance, the scripture says. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. This hope for the gospel that we have. Don't cower to the threats of the enemy. Be resilient through the face of persecution. And be bold about the gospel. Look in verse 30. They just lay out the gospel. Like they look at the people that just hung Jesus on a cross. 
And they say, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Do you realize that when you're talking to somebody about the gospel, it's offensive because their sin put Jesus on the cross. Hey, you're going to face opposition when you're, when you're telling the gospel. It was offensive to you until you realized that, that there was hope that came from the sin that you were condemned for. And so he says, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us to those who obey him. Watch this. When you're obedient in a world of opposition, you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you cross over from death to life and you say, I want to follow Jesus, I'm going to be obedient to whatever he wants me to do. You cross over from death to life and you confess him as your Lord. You're baptized in the waters of baptism. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now that Holy Spirit is who gives you the resilience. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you that, um, that ability to press through on this resistance. But it doesn't come without a cost. Resilience will cost you. Because when they hear this in verse 33, they're furious and they want to put him to death. In the next few verses, they call a meeting. Sound a lot like a church meeting. I don't know if you've ever been in a church meeting. Some of you might have just been going to church for a while. And uh, some of you have been going to church for a long time. It's funny, things start getting out of control. Everybody want to call a church meeting. Want to try to keep it under control. Um, I'm thankful for the church that I served in student ministry. We, we had a lot of students that came that were far from God. They acted like it too. They left stuff all over the place. And I'm just glad they didn't spray paint on the walls. I knew I'd probably get fired about that. But they just did crazy stuff. And, and um, what I'm thankful for is the church meetings that they called. It wasn't church meetings to try to like temper that down or, or, or get the kids off the campus. You know, a lot of the senior adults would call church meetings and they'd pray about those teenagers. One lady, she said, you know, in my Bible study in Sunday school, we can't hear each other because it's so loud upstairs. And you know what we do? And I was thinking, oh gosh, I'm about to get fired. What do you do? I'll tell you what we do. We stop and we pray and thank God that young people are here at this church. And we end our Sunday school class. It's funny, this, this meeting, there's this guy that speaks up named Gamaliel. And when he speaks up in the business meeting, it kind of shuts down the, the rhetoric. I want to challenge you. You've got influence in this city. You've got influence in your schools. You've got influence in this church. Um, when it's time to speak up on behalf of those who can't speak up on for themselves, take the opportunity to speak up on behalf of those who can't speak up for themselves. Take an opportunity to shift a meeting just simply by turning back to the scripture and challenging people to be resilient in the face of resistance. This guy says, for if their purposes or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But in verse 39, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. 2,000 years ago, it's amazing what, what we've seen happen with the movement of the church. Over a billion people that would confess Christ as Lord. This movement of the church over 2,000 years in this, in this time where this guy says, if you fight against this, you are not fighting against uh, man. You are fighting against God. Listen, you want to throw in the towel, 
You're you're tired. Listen, you've seen people die of this coronavirus. I've buried friends of mine who have died of the coronavirus. I've I've seen pastors and pastors' families who have been committed to this charge. They have died. I've seen people get in fights over all of the things that we see on social media. I've seen riots within the city. I, I, I turn on the news and I just get sickened. Listen, you're like me. A lot of times you want to throw in the towel. You get mad. You get mad at people that wear masks. You get mad at people that don't wear masks. It's like we don't know who to be mad at. We, we just mad at everybody. Listen, you want to throw in the towel? You ready to give up? You don't think you can do it? Well, great. You're in a great posture. These apostles didn't think they could either. Scared to death. Jesus hanging on a cross. They go run scattered. There's not but one one disciple that stayed there. The rest of them are gone. Peter denies him three times. They're running scared. They're they're hiding. They feel like the, the death sentence on their shoulders... And, and something happened, like something changed. Something happened to move them into an upper room to pray and then to move them into the temple courts to preach, then get beaten and then preached again. Something happened. And what happened is the resurrection. They saw it. The resurrection caused them to put a death sentence on their head and they said they don't care anymore. Listen, what happened was when they went up into the upper room, they received the Holy Spirit. And when they received the Holy Spirit, they were resilient. Listen, you think you're going to throw in the towel and good, great posture. You know why? Because now you're in a posture for the Lord to use you. Now you're in the posture for the Lord to give you resilience. For the Lord to help you through times of difficulty and opposition. Because only through the Holy Spirit are you going to be able to make it through times like this. I would say, don't trust in your own. Works Don't trust in your own ability. Trust in the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I think, listen, this Holy Spirit has the power to raise the, the dead from the grave. That same Holy Spirit is living inside of you. So what is it? What, what is it that's holding you back? Because the Holy Spirit wants to do amazing things through your life. But it's going to take Courage. And that courage isn't just going to come from you stirring it up today. That courage is going to come from the Holy Spirit. Because we've got to be courageous in a world of caution. This verse 40, his speech persuades them and they call the apostles in and they flog them. Now it was a risky move for them to go and preach in the temple courts. And now they're getting it. This flogging is what they did to Jesus when they beat him with rods, where they whipped him. And they received this. And then they ordered them, don't speak about it again. Aren't you glad that they kept talking? Aren't you glad that they kept preaching? You're a product of that. So they didn't give up. They weren't cautious about it and saying, okay, let's not do it in the temple courts now. Let's, 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 let's pivot. Let's go into the woods and let's just call them in there. And if we, if we see anybody coming, then we'll all take off running. No, they were right back in the temple courts, it tells us. This courage in a world of caution it's going to be like it's going to be weird for this time frame. Listen, in the era that we're living in right now, this pandemic has used this word in an abundance of caution, a normal phrase in our vernacular. But listen, it's not the pandemic. It's not the pandemic. This aversion of risk is not because of the pandemic. This has been going on for decades. It's been going on for decades. With every generation, we seem to get more and more cautious. 
Think about it. Let's just have a little bit of fun, okay? Let's have a little bit of fun. If you're over the age of 40, raise your pinky. Raise your pinky. Okay, I'm, all right. So I'm, I'm, in good, uh, I'm in good company. Okay, so how did we get here? How did we make it here? Think about it. Your mom never got you to wear a bike helmet. <laughs> Ever. Like it, we didn't even think about it. We were riding on the top of handlebars of bicycles. You know what I mean? Listen, my, my grandmother used to get me to lick the spoon in the cake batter knowing full well there was raw eggs in it. Did she not love me? I mean, think about this, man. We were risk takers, man. We're licking the spoon. We're, we're riding on, on handlebars of bikes. We're, we're drinking out of water hoses. Y'all remember when we used to do that? Like we didn't, hey kids, we didn't have water in a bottle. My dad is still convinced that they filled up the water bottles with, with a water hose and then sold it to him. He refused to pay 23 cents for a bottle of water. Listen, I don't know about you, but I rode in the back of a pickup truck. I know some of you parents right now are getting a little uneasy right here. I've been telling my kids we're not riding in the back of a pickup truck. What about a station wagon, man? You were riding in the back seat of a station wagon. It was facing the other direction. You were praying to God the semi wouldn't like slam into you when, when dad ran the red light and slammed on brakes. Man, we could keep going on and on and have a good time with this. I know that some of you guys took the dare and you ate the earthworm, okay? But the reality is this. We grew up in a different world. Was it different though? Or is it because now we just see all the evil that's in the world and we see it on a regular basis? It's always been there. It's been there for, for centuries, for millennia. Rarely do kids venture out of our sight. We're compelled to hover over them to protect them. Never before in the history of humanity has the tolerance for risk been so incredibly low. This is not the first plague, by the way, the world's ever faced. When everyone fled to safety in the early church, it was the early church that risked their lives through service, actually getting around those who were infected. In fact, the early church father said, heedless of danger, they take charge of the sick. They attend to their every need and they, and they depart this life serenely happy for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. My fear is that some churches were more interested in how they could get their worship services going online and how to give online giving than they were to try to deploy their people around people that are scared to death because they got no hope in case the coronavirus does kill them. What will they write about you? This is your moment as a church to saturate every life with the hope of the gospel and to put your faith into action. Protect yourself and your children from living an ordinary life. Protect, protect them from playing it safe and striving for comfort. Protect them from a life merely of success and lead towards a life of significance. Do you know that the leading cause for college students not going to the mission field is not faith. They've got the faith. It's not finances. The South Carolina Baptist Convention of Churches will send them. 
The leading cause for college students not going to the mission field is parents. Parents who want to protect them with right motives from this evil world. We are in desperate need of risk takers. What is the Lord urging you to do that will take great courage? If you knew that you would not fail, that you would not face opposition, if you knew that it would succeed for the kingdom, what would you try this month? Who would you talk to this month? Because that might be precisely what the Lord wants you to have the courage to go do. Maybe it's walking across the street, talking to a neighbor about the gospel that you've never talked to about spiritual stuff before. Maybe you have to apologize and say, hey, listen, I've been here a decade. We've been friends. I've never really told you about what's going on in my life spiritually. And I just wanted to know if you give me a chance to be able to tell you. Maybe it's the courage to confront a family member about their lifestyle. Maybe it's the courage to go on a mission for the first time. Maybe this week there's this opportunity for you to break your rhythm, your regular routine, and do something this week. You've made a bunch of excuses why not to. But maybe, there's, maybe the Lord wants you to do that. Do you, do you know the reason that most people don't share the gospel is because they don't have relationships with lost people. Their, their normal, regular routine and regular rhythm of life, they've saturated those people and they don't switch it up. Maybe you need to switch it up, switch up your, your normal routine and maybe it starts this week. Maybe the courage to begin a new career. Or young people in here, maybe, maybe it's the courage to accept a call to vocational ministry or accept a call to full-time missions. Don't ask, like, is the Lord calling you? Ask, why would the Lord not call you? What does he want you to do instead? But maybe it's that courage to say, I'll go and do whatever the Lord wants me to do. And for some of you in here, You've never even bought your ticket. You've never even like signed up for this mission, this boarding pass. Well, the good news is you don't have to buy it. It's already been bought. It was bought on a cross with your Lord and your Savior. He buried in a tomb, rose from the third day. And maybe your big courage step is for you to step out and say that you don't have your act together. You don't have it all together. You need Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You want to turn your life over to him. You want to obey him so that he can give you the Holy Spirit to to be resilient and and you want to make that public through the waters of baptism. Maybe today, maybe today is the day that you say, I've got the courage to step out. I'm going to come down here. I'm going to talk to a pastor and I'm going to move forward with that. We can rise to the call of service or we can shrink to the sound of silence. But I can tell you that in verse 41, the apostles, they leave the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They just got beaten, guys, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And watch this. Day after day, day after day in the temple courts, back where they got arrested and from house to house, that means person to person, one-on-one to one-on-one, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. In early February of 2020, there was another cruise ship that took off. It was, the, it was the Diamond Princess in Asia. Nobody really knew that there was a guy getting on board 
that was infected with this virus that people would now know as coronavirus. And over the course of that cruise, they realized that there was a bad pandemic occurring right on the ship. And so 600 of the 3,700 passengers get infected with this virus. And one by one, as they start to realize this, they start calling port cities and asking them if they can dock to get the, the people off the boat. But every port city rejected them. Every port city said, go to the next country. Why? Because they did not want the cruise ship to come and infect them. Keep them out to sea. Go, that's somebody else's problem. Let, let, let someone else, let some other government take care of them. The church cannot operate like these port cities, desiring not to be infected by those people, not willing to suffer for the sake of those who are dying, attending to keep those who are not like us out to sea, away from your kids, off of their campuses, out of their lives, unless they clean themselves up, button up, and then show up on their campus. Listen, souls are at stake. We've got to have Rock Hill First Baptist Church be an aircraft carrier church. Now is not the time to retreat. Now is the time to advance. So roll up your sleeves, get a little dirt on your hands, rise to help lost and hurting people because you have the vaccine for the disease of sin that carries a 100% death rate. Be obedient in a world of opposition. Be resilient in a world of resistance. Be courageous in a world of caution. And today enlist because lives are at stake. And we do this until every life is saturated and transformed by the hope of the gospel beginning right here in your neighborhoods of Rock Hill.